All right. Well, uh, I've been given a cough drop, so uh, hopefully last week's fiasco won't happen again. Uh, last week, just to recap with you real quick, we're, we're preaching through this mission statement and these core values. We're, this is week two, so last week we did the first half of this, making Jesus essential heart, lives, and homes. And if you weren't here, let me sum it up in, in like a sentence or two. Um, bread, if you're going to make bread, you got to have yeast. Uh, without yeast, you get a stale, gross cracker. Um, and it's not really bread. It's not really good. But with yeast, you get warm, fluffy, homemade, great, wonderful bread. Uh, life can be lived and had without Jesus. But we think he's like yeast. We think he's essential. We think that he makes everything better. He's essential for salvation and for going to heaven, but also for the richest of marriages, for the raising our kids, and for everything in between. Uh, and so we want to make Jesus essential in all of our life, not just the spiritual things. And so that was last week. Now we're going to move on to the second half this week. So every great company has created a, a mission statement, a vision statement. They've created clarity around who they are as a company and what they're trying to achieve. And every company that has done that, that has created great clarity, great focus, usually has incredible success. So you look at Google. Google is, is to organize the world's information and make it universally acceptable and useful. And now we literally use Google as a verb. Amazon is to be Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon went from being an online bookstore to literally being able to buy anything you ever want on it and have it in a day or two. So now let's look at my favorite company, Apple. Steve Jobs had been fired from Apple, and it had been about 12 years. And in those 12 years that Steve Jobs was gone from Apple, Apple had found itself in really big financial trouble. Uh, most people were predicting that Apple would go out of business, and the CEO of Dell even said they should just give the money back to their shareholders. <clears throat> it wasn't going well. And so in a turn of desperation, the current CEO thought, well, let's buy Steve Jobs' current company, bring Jobs back in, put him on the board, and maybe he can help us turn this thing around. So they did that, and they brought Jobs onto the board, but instead of sitting on the board, Steve Jobs ran a coup and took back over, and he became the CEO of Apple again. In their first strategy meeting, Steve Jobs was sitting down with all of these heads of departments and all these thinkers and engineers and all these people, and they were trying to figure out what were the things they were going to create to turn the business around. And there were hundreds of ideas. Everyone had a thought. Everyone had an opinion. People had projects they had been working on. They had prototypes. They had all these different things. And they had been sitting there for hours and hours and hours talking through, trying to figure that out, when eventually Steve Jobs yelled, stop. Shut the room down. He went up to a whiteboard and he took a marker and he drew, drew a vertical line and a horizontal line and he wrote, uh, you know, personal, professional, uh, uh, at home, mobile, desktop. And he said, we need to make four products. Not a hundred, four. One for each of these categories. And in that moment, there was this great clarity where everyone knew exactly what they were supposed to do, what their mission was, what they were after. Apple went on to create the iPod and then the iPhone and literally changed the world. When there is clear direction, 
when there is clear mission and purpose, when everyone is on the same page and united under that purpose, there is no limit to what we can accomplish. And so let me ask you a question. How does a church grow? How does a church grow? In 2021, how does Fellowship Baptist Church grow? I mean this question for me in both senses of the word. Like, how do we grow numerically, but also how do we grow spiritually? How do we get more people, and how do we grow deeper? How do we grow deep and wide? However, often when that question is asked, it's simply concerned with numbers, right? It's simply concerned with how do I get more people? And so you can read books, and you can go to conferences, and you can ask all these questions. You can look at all these things and and see, and people will tell you, here's how you grow a church. And most of their answers really have to do with four things. If you want to grow a church, if you, you do these four things and it'll grow. Four Ps. Property, people, personalities, and programs. And they'll, they'll tell you, hey, if you have a great building and great facilities, if it looks modern or maybe if it looks uh, traditional, depending on who you're trying to reach, uh, if the building attracts people, if it's close to where people live, if it's got facilities to ac- accommodate certain things, that'll attract people. Or if the people are not clicky, nobody wants to go to a church where people are clicky, they want to go to a church where people are friendly and welcoming and, and they connect to people. Or if you have great personalities, if, you, if the pastor or if the staff have a, a great a personality that people attach to, people will go to your church. Basically what I'm telling you is that if you had hired a cooler pastor, we'd be a mega church by now. Sorry. Or if you have great programs, whether that's kids or youth or college or Wednesday night or softball league or, or whatever the case may be, if you have great programs, people will come to your church. And while it may be good to have these things, while it may be great to have them, they can never grow a church. They can amass people. You can get a lot of people together if you've got a great facility and great programs and great personalities and great people. You can create a lot of buzz. You can generate a lot of excitement. You can get people in there. You can remove barriers, which is a good thing. You can remove that stuff that might have been preventing some people from coming because it doesn't look like a church building. They don't want to go to church, but it looks like a warehouse, and they'll go to that. You, you can remove barriers. They may be good things, but they in themselves can never grow a church. The Bible doesn't say that a building or programs or the preacher is the power of God unto salvation. No, it says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And it's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. First importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. What is of first importance? Not the programs of our church, not the color that we paint the walls, though I have to say I I think we've picked a pretty good color. Uh, Not the particular preacher that you have right now, even though he's not that great. What is most important? What is essential? What is first? The gospel. Why? Because no one can enter in the kingdom of Christ. No one can grow deeper or grow in more intimacy with Jesus through anything other than the gospel. It's possible to have the nicest property and the coolest people, the most dynamic of preachers, the best programs, to have a huge building, to have full people, all on a fast lane on a highway to hell. You can have all of those things and all of them head for hell. But it's also possible to meet in a rundown little building 
that you could barely afford with no staff, no programming, and yet proclaim the gospel and see a powerful move of God and bring revival and transform people's lives in the neighborhood. And so while we might work to improve the four Ps, as we work to make our building better and the programs, and as we work to make all those things better, at the end of the day, it is the gospel that will win the day. And it, it is the gospel that must be ever before our eyes and focus and attention. Our goal is not to just get people through that door. Our goal is not to just say, oh, hey, we had 500 people. Our goal is not to just put butts in seats or, as we say in my family, bottoms in seats. Our goal is to help people make Jesus essential, to help them on their journey in becoming fully mature followers of Jesus so that their lives may be transformed. Any growth devoid of the gospel is not growth. There might be a crowd, there might be excitement, there might be energy, but churches can only grow by and through and with the gospel. So how should a church grow? That was the question. I didn't ask how should a church grow because to say should implies there are multiple possibilities, multiple options. But in reality, there is only one. The church grows through the gospel. The church grows through the gospel. We have something greater than an iPod or an iPhone. We have something greater than just a company. We have the gospel, the promise of a coming kingdom. And when we are united and focused, and when we have the clarity of mission to see that kingdom grow and advance, to see people make Jesus essential, we will see the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone around us transformed. Our clarity of mission will not lead to the creation of iPhones, but it will change the world. Our clarity of mission can bring renewal and transformation to homes and neighborhoods and cities in the world. There is much more at stake in this room right now than there was in 1997 boardroom when Steve Jobs halted the room and wrote on a whiteboard. There is more at stake, and there is more potential for change and hope in the future in this room and in every church around that proclaims the gospel. There's more in this room right now than in the boardroom of Apple in 1997. But see, the enemy, he wants us to be busy. The, the enemy wants us to do a lot of stuff. He doesn't just want to destroy our church. He wants our church to be really, really busy doing all kinds of other things and be distracted by the mission of the gospel. Because the only way we'll see people change is through the gospel. Specifically, we say it this way, through the gospel proclaimed, understood, and practiced. And so we're going to walk through those three things together. But before we go much further, let me pray for us. Father, as we unveil this vision, this mission. Father, as we talk about a gospel that is a power of God unto salvation, as we talk about a gospel that needs to be proclaimed, a gospel that needs to be understood, a gospel that needs to be practiced, Lord, let us be clear on what this gospel is and what our role is in proclaiming and understanding and practicing it. Lord, let us in this room Understand what's at stake. Understand the cost. Understand what you've called us to and understand what we can change if we 
get on this mission together. Christ, and we pray all people said. Maybe you've heard this quote before. I'm going to put it on the screen. The quote says, share the gospel. When necessary, use words. It's a clever line. It's clever enough to seem profound. Share the gospel. When necessary, use words. It's clever enough to seem profound, but in reality, it is foolish. Share the gospel when necessary, use words, assumes that the gospel can be shared without the use of words, which is literally untrue. Now, do our lives, do the way we live, does our our, our model the gospel? Yes. Of course, our lives matter. Of course, how we live models the gospel, and it's what we're going to mean by the gospel practice. But let me be clear. The gospel can only be shared by using words. The gospel is a specific thing that cannot be communicated without words. It is the reason Paul writes so clearly and with such conviction in Romans chapter 10 when he says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The only way people can be saved, the only way their lives can be changed, the only way they receive and understand and can believe the gospel is if it is shared through the use of words. Now, preaching, and as this verse understands it, is not talking about what I'm doing right now. When it says preaching, it does not mean with a pulpit in front of a big crowd of people on Sunday morning. What Romans 10 means by preaching is sitting down in a local coffee shop, sharing the truth of the gospel with a friend, sharing about what Jesus has done in your life to make you new, to transform your life, and what he's done 2,000 years ago for you. It is sitting with a coworker uh, while you're getting coffee on your break, sharing about how Jesus can transform their life. That is what is meant by preaching. It is normal, everyday types of conversations where you talk about Jesus. But for too long, we have been content to hope that those people in our lives will just notice something, right? That they'll just notice, oh, there's something different about Joe. The people in our work and in our lives, our family, they'll just, we, we hope that they'll just notice that cross necklace we wear at work. Or they'll notice that Christian t-shirt we wear to school. Or that they'll notice that you're just kinder than everybody else at work because everybody else is kind of a jerk and this guy's kind of cool. And we hope that they'll see that and they'll just go, oh, I get it. I want to be saved. Yes, Jesus saved me. Or worse, we assume that because they live in America that they already know. Like everybody knows. Right? Like everybody, everybody knows who God is and Jesus and the gospel. And so we say nothing because we assume they get it. And we assume that the only thing they need is to be argued with and to be argued into Christianity. That's not the case. The gospel is this message of good news. It is a proclamation that is intended to be shared and proclaimed and shouted from the rooftops. And so symbols and t-shirts and and our lives modeled after Christ are good things. They are not good enough. We must open our mouth. We must speak the truth of the gospel if there is any hope for you to be saved. One of the funny things that have come along with the invention of the smartphone uh, has been emojis. Some people overuse emojis. Some people underuse them. But regardless, interpreting them can always be a challenge. 
For example, when uh, me and my wife are driving in separate cars for some reason and heading home, and she's in ahead of me, if she, she'll, she'll send me an emoji of just a little cop car. And I mean, that means there's a cop ahead, and I need to slow down. And if you're going through tomorrow, go five below. Y'all know what I'm saying? Don't go speed limit, because they got nothing else to do tomorrow. Other times, she'll send me a string of emojis, and it's like reading hieroglyphics. You're trying to figure out what she's saying in all this. But here's what's really funny. Have you ever received an emoji, and you thought it meant one thing, but in reality, it meant another? Like, for example, have you ever received this emoji? What do y'all think that means? Praying, yeah, right. No, that's a high five. According to Apple, that's a high five. So can you imagine someone texts you, man, I'm having a really bad day, my boss was a jerk, it's been really, really hard, and you send them that? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be like, if they know what it means, they're like, uh. And you're saying, I'm praying for you, but, in, but, but maybe they re- read it and see, high five. Like, what do you mean high five? I had a terrible day. I don't want a high five. Or, or do, do you know what this emoji means? What's that mean? Yeah, we, we all know that one. Right? It's so funny. I'm laughing hysterically, right? Now, before we put the next one up, you can only answer this question if you're 30 years old or over, okay? Now, put the next one up. What does that mean? Dead? Dead? No, it means the same thing as the previous one. It means it's so funny that I'm dying. Isn't that stupid? That's this generation right here. I don't get it. And so now I've had to result to when something's funny, I have to send both emojis so that we make sure we get it. It's so funny I'm crying, but it's also so funny I'm dying. I don't know why I've got to die when something's funny, but I guess I have to now. You see, symbols or whatever we're using to think we're communicating may or may not be communicating something, but they cannot communicate the gospel. See, 20 years ago, you might have thought if you were at a company party, and you are the only one not drinking alcohol, that, that would stand out and that would tell everyone in the room, oh, he's a Christian. And that might communicate something. Maybe you thought that would, that would, would be a witness, and, and maybe it was. But today, if you're with a younger group of people, not in suits, but in jeans at a business uh, event, and you're the one not drinking, they're just going to think you're weird and strange. And it's going to communicate something differently. But either way, whether you drink or don't drink, You're really not communicating anything very clearly at all. No one has ever been saved because they went, man, that guy didn't have a beer at that party. Man, I need Jesus too. No, that's never happened. Not once. The gospel must be articulated. It must be explained. It must be shared and spoken. Fellowship, our mission to make Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone within our reach can only be accomplished if this gospel is spoken, if it is proclaimed, if it's articulated. Inviting people to church is a good thing. It's good to invite people to church, but do not just invite people in church so that I can share the gospel with them. What's better is that if you, the one who knows them, says, hey, let's go get lunch. Let's grab some coffee and share the gospel with them. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. (laughs) That means that this message that you have, the gospel that God says never returns void. It always accomplishes something. The, The gospel is the power of God into salvation. 
not your ability to share it whimsically. So do not belittle the message of the gospel to think that you can mess it up because the gospel is a powerful and it's especially powerful when you're not powerful. See, God's power is displayed in weakness. And so let us be a people who stumble and get nervous and stutter and second guess ourselves and are awkward, but who in spite of all those things still share the gospel, who proclaim the gospel, because when we do, people will believe it and be changed. But it is not simply enough to proclaim the gospel. It must be understood. Now, this goes both for people who do not know anything about the gospel yet. And let me be clear, just because they live in America does not mean people get the gospel. They really don't. But it also goes for you, because unless you understand the gospel, you won't be able to share it. And the more you understand it, the more you will grow closer to Jesus. The gospel is this fascinating message because uh, Charles Hodge said it this way. The gospel is so simple that a small child can understand it. And it is so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. This means that there is no one here and no one you will ever encounter who cannot understand what needs to be communicated about the gospel. You do not need to be a theologian who went to seminary and studied school in school for years to be, under, to be able to communicate and articulate and understand this message. But it also means that you should never stop digging and mining its riches, and you'll never get past it or get over it. See, but but in order for us to understand the gospel, we must first reclaim the word itself, because the word has become this uh, junk drawer word that has almost lost its meaning, because I can't tell you how many times I've used the word, and people have, like the emojis, thought I meant something else. And it's been used wrongly. So we'll talk about gospel music. Uh, or someone might say the gospel truth when referring to a, tru- a truth that they believe in or opinion. For example, if you say, man, the Bengals really need to draft an offensive lineman to protect that new quarterback. Amen? And, and you might say, man, ain't that the gospel truth? Right? Just because you agree with it. Other times people might say uh, the gospel and what they say is that it just means the truth. Or it means God's word. But those aren't right either. So let me give you a very specific, simple definition so we're on the same page. The gospel is the good news, which it literally means good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that our relationship with God could be restored and the world could be set right. That's it. It's that simple. When we talk about the gospel, Understand, we are talking about an historical event. One moment in time that something happened. We are talking about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for the world, its implications for the world. The gospel literally translated means good news, which means it is an announcement. It is a proclamation that the king has won the battle that sin and death have been defeated, and that we can be made whole, and that the whole world can be set right. I want to give you quickly two ways of thinking about the gospel that are incredibly helpful for me, and I think they'll be helpful for you as well. The first is called the gospel on the ground, the zoomed in, up close, kind of personal look at the gospel. When we think about it, think about it four parts. God, man, Christ, response. 
God, man, Christ response. So we say, God is holy. He is perfect. He is just. He is the rightful judge of the world and will judge the world in righteousness. And then man sins and rebels against God and our sin and our breaking of God's law deserves justice. We are guilty under the law and deserve wrath and hell. But Christ came sent from God to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial atoning death for the sins of humanity. Jesus takes our place on the cross and receives the punishment for our sins. He is raised from the dead, conquering over sin and its punishment, death. In response, that this gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done for you must be believed. You can't believe it for your friends or for your children. You must believe it for yourself and place your own trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You must repent and turn to him. This is the gospel on the ground, very individual, very personal. But now let's zoom out and let's talk about the gospel in the air. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, the big picture and big story of what God is doing. That in the beginning, God created a world that was perfect. God created a world where there was no death, where everything lived in perfect harmony, where the lion lay down with the lamb and humanity flourished. No one ever got sick. No one ever grew tired. No one ever got old. The world was literally paradise. But man caused this great fall by rebelling against the king. They broke his one rule, and in so doing, there was a curse in the world, like Nathan was talking about. Now the ground rebels against us. The animals rebel against us. We rebel against one another. The curse has caused animals to eat each other. It's caused thorns. It's caused cancer. It's caused disease, and it's caused death. But God loved his creation so much that he would redeem it that he would not allow the curse to continue forever. And so he sent his son to do battle with the enemies of God and he takes the curse upon himself and receives the the consequences of the curse, death, and it kills him. But on the third day, he raises from the dead, conquering over the curse and the grave, crushing the heads of his enemies and reversing the curse forever. But while today we do not see this whole curse reversed, the world is still broken, we get a taste of what is coming. When we trust in Christ, we have a taste of what the earth will one day be, a paradise again. When we will be raised from the dead, no longer achy bones, no longer growing old, no longer dying. Again, the lion will lay down with the lamb and all will be truly good and wonderful and happily ever after is actually coming. And the invitation is that God is inviting you into that kind of story where your brokenness can be reversed too. All you have to do is make Jesus your king. So that's the gospel zoomed out, 30,000 foot view, the gospel in the air. And both of these, the gospel on the ground, the gospel in the air, gives us this kind of complete view and understanding of the gospel. Gospel is not music. It's not truth. It's not the Bible. It is a historical event. It is an announcement of what King Jesus has done in having victory over his enemies. It is a singular message that is the power of God unto salvation. In order for us to grow, We must understand the gospel. In order for us to proclaim it, we must understand the gospel. Finally, we must practice it. See, proclaiming the gospel cannot happen without understanding it. The gospel, however, can be proclaimed without practicing it. That is to say, you can live like the devil and proclaim the gospel. People can look at you and they could look at you and see no difference in your life. 
than anyone else. They can see no joy, no change. They can look at you and see all of the bad things. And yet you could still share Christ with them. The problem is, why in the heck would anyone listen to you? Right? Like, if you preach Christ and say it's going to change your life, but your life's not changed, there's no discernible difference in your life, like, why would I care what you have to say? It seems like not true. It seems like you don't even believe it. Why would it matter? You see, practicing the gospel gives credibility when we proclaim the gospel. Practicing the gospel shows that we practice what we preach. It shows that life change and transformation in us is true, and so that when we give it to them, that it can actually happen. And so let me just say this. If when you look at your life, you see no difference from the moment you came to Christ and however long it's been, you see no discernible difference, no joy change, no, no, no life change, no sin change, nothing, then it may be that you need to take a hard look at your life and truly ask the question, have you believed? Have you truly made Jesus your king? Because when we do, when you bow your knees and you give your heart to Jesus, you will never be the same. You will have a joy that the world can't make sense of. You will handle pain and suffering with a sort of peaceful confidence because of the hope you have in Christ. And that hope looks strange to the world. You will forgive those who wrong you and don't even ask for your forgiveness. You will forgive those who you despise. You won't be a slave to money. You won't be a slave to power, to the vices of this world because you've been given something far greater. We will love and serve our spouses differently. We will love and raise our children differently. We will open our homes to strangers and we will welcome in those who can do nothing for us. We will care for those who are needy and we will become radically generous. You see, the gospel changes us and other people will be able to see the difference. The gospel changes us and other people will be able to see the difference. Practicing the gospel is just another way of saying that we live in accordance or in line with what we say we believe Jesus to be. We live in accordance with who we believe Jesus is and what he did for us. We practice what we preach. The gospel changes us. We believe the gospel always changes those who trust in its message. See, if the vision is to see people make Jesus essential in their hearts, lives, and homes, then the mission or the only way we're going to accomplish that mission is to proclaiming, understanding, and practicing the gospel because that's the only way churches grow. The only way churches grow. See, the gospel is not the runway of, of an airport. The gospel is not just how we get into Christianity and how one day we'll land in heaven. The gospel is the jet fuel that takes us off and, and takes us every step of the way. We never get over it. We never get past it. And so it is imperative that you, as a follower of Jesus, understand the gospel, that you are continually learning and growing deeper and deeper in your knowledge of the gospel, because as you do, your intimacy with Jesus will grow. Your life will grow. You'll begin to practice what you preach. You'll practice the gospel. Your life will change. You'll proclaim it, not just with your life, but with your words. And as you proclaim the gospel, others will begin to understand it. And as they begin to understand it, they will begin to believe it. And as they do, their lives will be changed. And as their lives are changed, they will begin to live out and practice the gospel, which means their hearts, lives, and homes will be transformed. And as that happens and they realize the overwhelming 
goodness of Jesus, they too will become proclaimers of the gospel. And the cycle will continue as more and more people are adopted into the family of God. And they will begin to look like and live for and proclaim this kingdom of Christ. You want to change the world. You want to change your family and your friends and your neighborhood and this city. You want to change the world? Well, we need to clarify our mission. We need focus. We need as one body to be running together in the same direction. Well, here it is. Let's strive to make Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone within our reach. And let's do it the only way that we can do it, the only way Jesus told us can be done through the gospel, proclaimed, understood, and practiced. Here's the deal. I love my iPhone. Y'all know that. I'm thankful Apple had the focus to create it. But my iPhone will get old. The screen might crack. It'll become outdated. It will need upgrading because it will break and it will fail me. But we belong and live for and preach a gospel, a message of a kingdom that can never fail, can never be shaken, can never be defeated. Our gospel tells of a kingdom that is perfect and lovely and will never pass away. Our gospel says that the gates of hell will never prevail against it, that we are on the right side of history. And because of that, we know how the story will end. We have been given clarity and focus and direction of our mission. So let us not get distracted. Let us not get sidelined. Let us all run together in the same direction, proclaiming, understanding, and practicing the gospel. Because when we do, we will see the Lord do amazing things through us, the church. Let's get to work. Pray. Father, you have given us this message. This message that is honestly foolishness. This message that is silliness. This message that a 2,000-year-old dead Jewish guy who came back to life and somehow his, his blood was and his innocent body slain, his blood can forgive us of our sin, and that we, death has been defeated, that we can be re- resurrected from the dead, despite what science may tell us, our bodies can reanimate, that, that we believe that you're coming back on a white horse in the sky and that you're going to set the world right. That's craziness. But if it's true, this message of foolishness can change the world. We know that because it's changed our lives. And so, God, would you give us the boldness and the conviction and the understanding to grow deeper into this gospel and to become proclaimers of it and to become practicers practicers of it? God, would you make us a church that is not so consumed by the property or the people, or the personalities, or the programs. Because those things come and go. The walls will change colors again. There will be a new preacher standing in this pulpit at some time. There will be new programs, and old programs will die out, and new ones will get started. People will leave. People will die. But the one thing that never changes is the message and the kingdom that you have brought into our hearts and called us to live together, to share, proclaim, and change the world. So let us be a people who do not care how ugly these green chairs are, but let us be a people who really care that the butts that sit in them 
belong to you. And that they don't just sit there and say some things. They don't just sit there and check religious on Facebook, but they become disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make Jesus essential, who help other people make Jesus essential, who then help other people make Jesus essential until every neighborhood and every house and every county and village and whatever else we call these things around here have been changed by the gospel. We've seen lives transformed. God help us get on that mission. Christ, and we pray.